You're listening to a Richwood Church podcast. Even in this uh, crazy world that we're living through right now in this time that we've never experienced before, maintaining a vital relationship with God through spiritual disciplines is just as important, if not more so, than it's ever been. And it's hard because there are so many distractions. If you're like me, I'm not proud to admit this, but the last thing you see at night is your phone. The first thing you see in the morning is your phone because that's where my schedule is, that's where my alarms are, everything. But I can get really distracted really quickly. Before I know it, I'm checking baseball scores. Not good. But that's the kind of distractions we face. And then there's all of life's demands. There's driving kids places, there's doctor's appointments, there's bills to pay. If you're doing online school or if you're supervising online school, you know how exhausting that can be. And then there's housework, there's meals, and you have to work to make a living. Where does God fit into all of that? How do we keep our spiritual disciplines in order? Well, let me ask you a couple of questions. These are not to meant to shame because I'm right in there with you. First, does a prayer in your car on your way to work really keep you connected to God? Does that quick prayer you pray in the shower keep you tuned in? Is there a place that you know you're going to meet God every day? And you know you're going to spend time with Him. And can you go two or three days without praying and still keep your spiritual equilibrium? Those are all important questions because finding time with God is commanded by Christ. In fact, in Matthew, He tells us in 22, beginning in verse 37, that we must love the Lord God with all of our heart, all of our soul in all of our mind. And so that means that we must spend time with him. But all those other things that I mentioned, they suck energy away. But the older I get and the more I walk with God, the more I know that it's imperative for my own spiritual life that I need that time with God. Not only does it fill my soul and not only does it help direct me and help put my priorities in order. But it's a time that I feel the love of God in a way that I don't when I'm rushing around and doing crazy things. Now, the religious leaders of the day that Jesus railed on didn't understand this concept. They wanted to do all these right things, but they didn't really know what it meant to have a right relationship with God. And so they were all fake. They, they were full of pride, and Jesus hated that. Yes, they were praying. Yes, they were fasting. But it was for all the wrong reasons. And so you and I have a choice to make. We can get caught up in the tyranny of the urgent. That's really easy to do. Or we can decide that God is important. And really what it does is it comes down to a decision about personal priorities. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. And so if you have a Bible, if you have another device with your phone, tablet, turn with me, if you would, to the book of Matthew. We're going to start in chapter 6, verse 5. And we're in a series called Making Jesus Known by Living Like Him. 
And we're working through the Sermon on the Mount. And first we've learned, as we've tracked through the Lord's teaching, that he's introducing a brand new kingdom. And the Beatitudes consist of humility and servanthood. And then we've learned that we need to be salt and light to our culture. That we are to get relationships in order and live lives of integrity. That we are to be loving and kind in order to represent him well. We live to please God and not man. And today, it's about proper priorities. Now, Jesus has already confronted the Pharisees. They were the top religious leaders of his time on their hypocrisy regarding tithing, and now he's going to do the same regarding their hypocrisy about spiritual disciplines. So the overall theme of this section is a command, and it's this. You are to seek a sincere and faith-filled relationship with God. And I put an emphasis on the word sincere, because the Pharisees weren't sincere. It's all about being real with God. He wants a real relationship with you, not something that's predicated on a bunch of religious actions or traditions that make you feel good. He wants you. He wants to spend time with you. You're the one he created. You're the one that he loves. He doesn't love the ritual. He loves you, and he wants to spend time with you, and he knows that's the best thing for you. And so we're going to talk here about communing with God in a prayer life that is sincere, private, and without fanfare. So look at verses 5 through 7. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray... Go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. So Jesus is talking about the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. They wanted to be seen by everyone. Everything they did was a public display in order to bring attention to themselves. And Jesus is saying, that's not what you're supposed to do. You're not to, you are to treat your relationship with God as a personal thing and that it's, it's a reverent thing. Now, what's interesting is this word hypocrites here is derived from ancient Greek theater where the actors would wear these oversized masks. And so the actor would be saying lines and directing the narrative of the play underneath masks. Everything was fake. It wasn't real. And that's what the Pharisees were. They were fake. They weren't real. They were hypocritical. So what Jesus is saying, very simply, is don't be like them. He wants sincere. He wants honest. He wants you to make him a priority. And there's nothing more important than that. There's no other better way to spend your time. And so another interesting note here as he talks about prayer and the hypocrisy of the Pharisees 
is that it contained, they contained all kinds of unnecessary words in their prayers. And that's the next thing. The next point I want to make is pray as you speak. Because fancy words don't impress God. Just be you. You speak English. I hope you do. Your prayers can be in simple English. God just wants to hear your heart. And many people are afraid to pray. But they don't know how to pray because they hear people praying in church and so forth. And they're like, I never pray like that. I, I could never do that. But we're not praying to impress anyone. We're praying because we love God. And the Pharisees didn't do that in verse 7. They heaped up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. That's just pagan or not walking with God or non-Jew. For they think that they will be heard for their many prayers or many words. Now, I want to make this point really clearly. This is not a, a prohibition against long prayers. There are long and beautiful prayers. There are prayers that last for minutes to hours, and that's beautiful when you're communing with God. What he's talking about here is babbling, because these people thought that if they could just talk long enough, God would finally hear them. But that's not the way it works. And Jesus was really concerned because prayer was important to the Jew of that day, and he didn't want them to get this habit. He didn't want them to fall into this trap. And so he made it clear that fancy words and long prayers, they don't impress God. Many of you are familiar with the man named Nehemiah from Scripture. Nehemiah, in 444 B.C., was a cupbearer for the king of Persia. So he had a very risky job. He'd be next to the king, and he would have to be the food taster, the food tester. So if someone was going to assassinate the king by poison, that wasn't a very good job to have. But it also put you right next to the king. And so Nehemiah had access to the king every day. And that was unheard of. I mean, he was a Jew in exile, but yet God had placed him there. So, in the book of Nehemiah, in the second chapter, everything was happening really quickly. Jerusalem was in ruins. Nehemiah was grieving that loss, and so he comes to the king, he's downcast, and being downcast is, in the king's presence, a no-no. You can't do that, because it would reflect on the king's character and his leadership. But Nehemiah was downcast, and he took the bold step of asking the king if he could go back and rebuild the walls. And in the midst of it, he prays, but it's not a long and fancy prayer. In fact, let's look at that little dialogue, and we'll see how long he actually did pray. Nehemiah 2, 2 through 5. And the king said to me, why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Look what Nehemiah says, that, well, I was very much afraid. And I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins, and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven. 
The dialogue goes on. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. So there's no long and fancy prayer here. Nehemiah is praying in the middle of a conversation with the king. It's like he's praying in his inside voice, but it's just as powerful as any other prayer. In fact, a miracle happened. The king said, yes, you can go back. Nehemiah's prayer was heartfelt. It was akin to, help God, help me. I don't know how many times you've prayed that prayer. I pray it a lot. Just help. And God knows what we need. And so oftentimes we think we can just pray God into action. That we can find a formula. We can find the right words, find the right scripture. But here's the lie in all of that. God is already listening. Verse 9, your father knows what you need before you ask him. So don't try so hard. Just talk to him. Relate to him. Be in a relationship with him. Just pray like you talk, honest and sincere, and make it a personal priority or it isn't going to happen. Got to set aside time. And it's because of the hypocrisy of the Pharisees and the way they prayed that Jesus gave his followers a template about how to pray because they didn't understand how to do this. And so we land now on the Lord's Prayer. And the Lord's Prayer is a template regarding how to pray. So let's just take a moment and walk through it together, and we'll see what Jesus has in mind here. So we begin with verse 9. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven. And so you can begin your prayer with worship when you understand who you're praying to. In Matthew 1 through 18, Jesus uses this term Father 10 times. He is praying to the king of the universe. And then the next phrase is, hallowed be your name. This is a reverence, a worship. The word hallowed is, is really, really important. It means revered. So you're seeking a deep relationship with this king. And you are taking a pose of humility. You're not demanding anything. You are simply talking to the king of the universe. And then as Jesus goes on, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is a prayer that God's kingdom as it exists in heaven will be on earth And it's a prayer that his gift and grace of salvation would come to our earth and that he would reign here as he does in heaven. It's an important part of prayer. Lord, will you save the world? Will you save my friends? Lord, here are some people that I need you to touch. And then in verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. It's a simple prayer for sustenance. And many people are afraid to pray for themselves. They feel selfish and guilty. Well, I, you know, I can't spend time praying for my own needs. Yes, you can, because that's what Jesus is telling you to do here. Pray for your daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have 
forgiven our debtors. And that's in verse 12. This is the, the spiritual idea of maintaining a clean relationship with God so that you are extending forgiveness that God has given you to others. And then finally, he wraps up the prayer like this. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, we've got to stop there because God doesn't lead anyone into sin. He doesn't tempt anyone. But what he's saying here is, he's saying, Lord, don't let me be led into places where I'm going to be tempted and I'm going to fall. It's a prayer for spiritual protection. That's what Jesus is getting at. As part of your prayer life, you need to pray against the enemy. The enemy of our faith is active. The enemy of our faith is trying to destroy. The enemy of our faith is trying to divide families trying to divide churches, trying to destroy God's activity. And so we need to pray against that, even though we know we will have ultimate victory. And then, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now that's kind of a scary verse and misunderstood. This doesn't mean that God is going to yank your salvation away if you struggle to forgive others. Because we know that when you come into relationship with Jesus Christ, when you trust him for salvation, that that is locked in granite. That is a covenant that cannot be broken. Because Jesus already did all that work on the cross. He already paid for all of that sin. And the Bible tells us we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. But what Jesus is saying is that if you do not have right relationship then your daily walk with God will be hindered and you will not be an effective disciple. And so if you want to wrap up this prayer in just its various elements and and use a template of some kind, here's how Jesus went through it. First, start with praise and worship. Remember who you are praying to. Humble yourself before that. Secondly, pray that God's kingdom will reign on earth, that people will get saved, that God will do a revival amongst us. And then you can pray for your daily needs. What's on your heart? What's on your mind? Sometimes I just stop here because there is so much weight on me that I'll just spend the rest of the time just saying, Lord, this is on my heart. This is on my mind. Will you please do this or that? And it's not a demand, but it's just sharing what's inside of me. And then pray for victory over evil, that, God, that you will not walk into places where you will be destroyed. And then finally, a prayer for a vibrant and healthy relationship with God. So this is the template that Jesus laid out. And you can come up with a template that works for you, but it is important, at least for me, to organize my prayer life because my mind is all over the place. And so I need that. So pray a sincere and honest prayer. Just be you. Pray the way you talk. Set aside time to pray. So then Jesus leaves prayer aside, and I want to talk about fasting just for a moment because fasting is, for some believers, really an abnormal spiritual experience. And I know what you might be thinking. Oh, yeah, I understand prayer. Oh, fasting. Now that's different. So I want to talk about fasting, and here's what Jesus says about fasting in, in verses 16 through 18. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. 
Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So the focus again is on the Pharisees and their outward attempt to impress people. Here's how it would work. If you're going to go fast, you would sprinkle yourself with ashes. You would go off. You would fast. You wouldn't shave. If you're a man, you wouldn't take a shower, whatever. You'd look pretty, pretty bad. It would be like our teenagers when they come back from camp and they haven't changed clothes in a week. That's what it would be like. So then when you were finished fasting, you would clean yourself up. You'd wash your face. You'd get ready to go back out in public and people wouldn't be aware that you had just spent that time with God. But the Pharisees, what Jesus was saying is they left themselves in that condition, then went out in the public square so everyone could walk by and say, oh, look what they are doing. They are fasting. Aren't they marvelous? Aren't they wonderful? Jesus said that outward attempt to impress people is not okay. And he does say, though, that we should fast. And so fasting is hard. It's hard to fit in. It's, it's hard to know exactly how to do it, but it is important. And so to know what spiritual fasting really is, is we can ask, ask ourselves that question. All it is is voluntarily abstaining from food for a period of time for a spiritual purpose. So that period of time is up to you. You can spend a lunchtime, instead of eating, you can be praying. You can do it for a half a day, a full day. You can do it whatever way to get started. But it's important because here's why we fast. When you fast, you are taking time to commune with God. You are saying to God that you are more important to me than even eating or drinking. When you feel the rumbles of hunger in you, you are then aware again of your desperate need for God to provide everything for you, that you can provide nothing on your own. And then something happens in the body too. When you haven't eaten for a while, there is something that happens where you get clarity, God can speak to you, it can become a really deep experience that you're sending a message about what's important to you, and that's why fasting is important. You can see that when the Pharisees did it, it defeated the whole purpose. So they got this short-lived spiritual reward. People walk by going, like, they're neat. They're done. That's the, that's the end of the reward. You fast for the right reasons, and you get an eternal reward. You commune with Christ forever. So as is the case with prayer, fasting in secret will bring you that kind of reward. And here's the best part of all, is these spiritual disciplines connect you to God. And that's something that all of us need right now, is to be connected to God. And I know you, I know that you love God. I know that you are like me, you don't always do the right things, you don't always do everything in the right order, but I deeply love God. And so I want to be connected to him. And so I do have a place I go to in the mornings. It's the same place. All my stuff is there. It's an appointment I have with God. 
Sometimes I walk away going, that was incredibly rich. Wow, that was neat. Sometimes I walk away and go like, I don't think I got anything out of that, but I know that's not the truth. And so what's happening there is I'm hearing the Lord encourage me. I'm hearing the Lord rebuke me. And when I spend time, I can confess sin that will free me. But I can't do that if I'm not spending time with God. And so the most important thing you can do is these spiritual disciplines because they will connect you to the one that you love more than anything. So don't be like the Pharisees. It's kind of good that we have the Pharisees because we have a good straw man because they did everything wrong. So don't be like the Pharisees is the Sermon on the Mount pretty much. But when you're in this fast-paced world, dealing with all this COVID stuff and all the things we're, we're grappling with, don't buy into the tyranny of the urgent. Don't sell yourself short. Make that appointment. Keep that appointment. It could be five minutes, 10 minutes, 20. I shoot for an hour. Sometimes, yes, sometimes a little bit shorter. But it's got to come down to a decision that you make about what are your personal priorities going to be. So let me just pray over you as we mull over this question and this important part of our spiritual lives. God, I just thank you for this beautiful flock that you've brought together here at Ridgewood Church. Lord, we are a body of believers that seeks to know you better. We love you. We love your word. We want to be effective disciples. We want to reach our neighborhood and the world for Christ. But we also know that there's so many things pulling at us that it sometimes can be overwhelming. So Lord, just call us to yourself. Summon us to that appointment. Help us to have a thirst that is unworldly, but it comes from you. And so that we can spend the time with you that we need to be revived, to, to be humbled, to be directed. God, all of that comes when we are in your presence. And so we just ask you this in your powerful name. Amen. Thank you for joining us on the Ridgewood Church Podcast. For more faith-based resources or information about Ridgewood Church, visit us at myrwc.org.